What's going on, Zion? My name is Melvin. Um, and before we get into today's message, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, beginning on verse 9. But before we get there, uh, I just want to say a quick prayer for us. Father, we thank you for the chance to get together, to get into your word. God, we pray, Lord, that you would open up our minds, open up our eyes and our, our ears and our hearts to receive what you have for us today. Give us the strength to live uh, in response, to live a right, res- uh, uh, out of a good response to this message, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would give me the power that makes preaching easy, and God, that you would uh, leave, help us leave here changed. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever speak to a kid and uh, you ask them for their age and they tell you, uh, I'm four, but I'm going to be five. And they, they usually do this thing with the arms, right? Um, well, recently, I share that because recently, uh, my family and I, we went to the park uh, for an art event. And someone asked my son, how old are you? And with a straight face, kid you not, he looked at them and said, 23. Didn't react. And the guy, knowing full well that my son is not 23, because I can't be the father of a 23-year-old, right? Uh, Looks at him and says, are you sure you're 23? And he goes, and he cracks a little smile. He goes, no, I'm five. My son's actually two. (laughs) going on three, all right? Shout out to the hand situation the kids do. Um, But I say this story because something that's evident with children is that they want to grow up. At any time in life, you probably remember where you wanted to grow up. Maybe is you couldn't wait to go to school or you couldn't wait to leave school, graduate. Or maybe you wanted that license so you can get your car or your first job or you wanted to move out. Or maybe you're looking forward to retirement. I don't know, but at some point in our lives, all of us have wanted to grow up. And it's no different spiritually. Um, Spiritually, what we find in this passage today is that the Apostle Paul is praying that the church would grow. See, last week, we started a series in the book of Colossians, uh, and we are in our second week in this book. And typically, in the time that Paul would have been writing this letter, because it's actually a letter, Uh, there would have been a really long introduction, and this is actually no different. So today we're still in the introduction, but what happens is the Apostle Paul, the sent one, which is what apostle means, it's a fancy term, uh, what he does here is he shifts into a prayer that he is praying for the Colossian church, and it's a prayer of spiritual growth. Now, the text that we're reading, I'm going to just preface this, it's a bit layered, all right? It's written in what's called an infinitive structure. And so what happens is that what, it's like an onion, right? Where you peel away and you just have another layer underneath and he starts to narrow the scope of his prayer a bit. So first he starts off with how he prays, then what he prays, why he prays it, and who he prays it to. So that's gonna be the structure that we get into for today. So let's uh, pick up in the passage in Colossians chapter one, beginning in verse nine. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work 
and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so I'd like to start, uh, my first point is pray with earnestness. And I'd like to start with that first phrase in verse nine, pray with earnestness. Now earnestness, uh, dictionary definition, is a mix of sincerity and intensity. All right, and what you're gonna notice is that Paul starts off the passage by saying, and so. And what he does by doing that, and I'm not just, you know, what he does by doing that is he links this prayer to the text that we read last week, beginning in verse three to eight, where he's giving thanks. And so in other words, he's praying out of a thankfulness. But it's not just those two words that tell me that he's uh, trying to link this prayer with the thanksgiving that he gave uh, previously. See, there's a lot of correlation between last week's passage and this week's, this week's passage. And it goes to show me that the author is really trying to prove a point here and link these two thoughts together. Just think about it, right? And so from the day we heard, and so, that thankfulness, beginning of verse three, we always thank God. He says, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. In other words, he prays always. Look at verse three. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Finally, I'll just give one more example. He talks about bearing fruit in this, ver in this text that we're in today, in verse 10. He talks about bearing fruit as well in verse six, in the text that we talked about last week. And so what Paul is essentially doing here is he's going to great lengths to link his prayer to the thankfulness. What Paul is essentially saying, right, is that the reason why they, there's so much to give thanks for, the reason for their love, the reason for their bearing fruit, the reason for all of the things that their hope, all of the things that they are showing and exemplifying is because God has heard his prayer. He goes to great lengths to show that. And see church, I gotta tell us something today. You are here, I am here because of somebody else's prayers. You and I are dependent on the prayers of the body. He continues, and this is a sincere prayer. He goes, and so from the day that we heard. See, I love that he prays for people that he doesn't even necessarily know. Notice that he just heard about them, right? And, and I'm thinking about this and I'm like, how do you have a capacity to pray for people that you don't even know? Um, see, what I, what I see is that the more that you grow in love for God and love for people, your capacity grows. And so Paul saw not only that there were people that believed in God, he saw though that there was an opportunity for God to be glorified in and through them. That's why as you'll see in the verse that he's praying for them, not just so, for, so that they can be filled with a lot of good things and, and, and it could just stay there. Um, he's praying so that they can walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. All right, see you and I, we're not meant to just be puddles where all of the water just stays. We're meant to be pipelines, right? Where God's glory flows in and through us. And so Paul is acknowledging that and he's praying for them sincerely from the day that he's heard about them. But check this out, check how he prays as well. He doesn't just pray with sincerity, 
He prays intensely. He says in that same verse, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking. Um, now see, asking and praying, they're, two, they're, they're essentially the same things. Asking is a type of prayer, but it's prayer nonetheless. Right? And so what Paul is essentially doing here is he's showing that he prayed with a certain intensity, meaning that he prayed for them without ceasing. He prayed for them asking, like he prayed and prayed and prayed for them. Um, part of the reason why he, Paul was able to do this was again, because I said that he grew in his love for them. But I think that, and I pray that, uh, I think it was because Paul's prayer stamina grew. And I pray, my prayer for us as a church is that our prayer stamina would grow as well. Um, part of the reason why we don't pray with this type of intensity is because we, we live in a time where things are instant, right? We got microwaves, we got social media, we got uh, Netflix, and things that just come at a touch of a dime. You can call and get whatever food that you want, and things are just instant. And while I'm grateful for these technology and these advances, right, I think they present a threat to the intensity and longevity with which we pray. Um, see, we need to slow down. As a church, we try to do this once a month with our prayer and fasting. But it's also, we can also do this by you know, writing things down, um, keeping our, our prayer lives a bit more organized. And so I took, a, I took it upon myself recently. I thought about a lot of the people that I don't pray for. And it's because out of sight, out of mind. And so I took it upon myself to write down names, right? And I encourage you to do this as well. Write down names. Maybe it's a prayer journal. Maybe it's cards. Maybe it's something like that. But write, write things down. Put a verse next to that name and pray for those people consistently. Organize your prayer life. Have a time that you carve out for that. Okay? Um, but, as, but as you do it, you'll grow. And so my encouragement to us as a church is not necessarily like to do this tomorrow or today, but to just take that next step. Um, in our prayer lives. And our capacity will grow as we continue to do that faithfully. Now, we see how Paul prays, but we transition into what Paul prays. We're still in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. See, I want to hone in on that word, filled. When Paul is asking for them to be filled, he is desiring this fullness of what God has to offer. He's, offering the he's, at, he's desiring the fullness of God to be present in and among the church. And you see, this is the difference between, between being tipsy and, and drunk, like completely gone, right? And I know that that example may seem a little bit like it may hit people the wrong way, but this is actually an example that Paul uses in another scripture uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse eight, 18, where he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, there's a contrast between being drunk off of a substance and then being filled with the Spirit. So what he's saying is don't, don't be filled with this, but be filled with this thing, right? And so Paul is desiring that for the church. See, you and I, we don't need half of God. We don't, it's like, all right, God, 
you do this part and I'll do the rest. No, see, we need all the help that we can get from God. We need all of it. Church, we're constantly filling ourselves with things, right? We're filling ourselves with, you know, our work, entertainment, social media, all of these things, and they're not necessarily bad, right? But they keep us busy and they distract us from what's most important. I read a quote recently by a pastor where he said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And I think that's what happens when we fill ourselves up with a lot of these good things, but we're not focused or thinking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is Paul's prayer for the church. See, Paul desires that the church would be filled with the knowledge of his will. It keeps going. Check it out, verse 9. Um, being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual under wisdom and understanding. You ever, um, you ever hear a song where somebody like directly uses a lyric from an older artist, right? What they're doing there is they're paying homage. Uh, and they're just like, they're, they're picking up on what that song meant and using part of that in their song, right? They're using that lyric to translate into the song that they're doing. And what Paul's essentially doing here is similar. See, all throughout the Old Testament, where there were uh, references to knowledge, wisdom, and understanding in relation to the Spirit, right? It was, it was always because of the Spirit's, like, filling that they would have this knowledge, this understanding, this wisdom. And so he's basically referencing a lot of these Old Testament verses. And I'll give you one just as an example. In Exodus 31, 3, um, it says, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. Sounds very similar. And just as a side note, um, do was filled with the Spirit to build, to build something, namely uh, the, the tabernacle. And so I digress. See, my question here, really what the, what the point is, who do we depend on? All right, what is it that is occupying and filling our time um, that's showing really what we depend on. Is it the Holy Spirit or is it something else or someone else? We need the Spirit to get it done, right? We have a limited supply. What we can do as much as our own wills can reach, and we know that those are eventually gonna, gonna hit a point, hit a wall, and we can't, where we can't just, we'll need to just relax, right? But with the Spirit, with the Spirit, God can use a man like myself to preach this message and to impact people. So he prays for people to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Um, what he's doing here as well, right, is he intentionally uses a word for knowledge that I want to call on. He uses the word epignosis. Um, and this is different than the word that he'll use later on in Colossians 2.8, around that area, where he talks about the knowledge that other people are trying to give. So Paul uses this word that means knowledge, but really uh, it means a knowledge that has practical implications. And so what Paul is trying to say is that knowing God's will should also lead to you doing his will. 
All right. See, we live in the, uh, an age of information where you can Google something for five minutes and sound like an expert, right? Uh, but knowing a lot about something doesn't mean you actually know that thing. It just means you know a lot about it. Um, in the dating world, they call that stalking, right? So that's not the type of knowledge that Paul is talking about here. What Paul is saying is that we can know the will of God through the Spirit, and we can act on that will. And see, the will of God, a lot of times, is you know, put as this like, very you know, abstract thing. But he also goes on to say another way that we can know the will of God. And that is by bringing God pleasure when we depend on the Holy Spirit to show off how much God is worth. I said a lot there, but we're going to transition and we're going to see this in, the, in verse 10 here. Um, so we move from not just how Paul prays to what Paul prays, which is for the church to know God deeply. Now we're moving into the why God, why Paul prays. Um, and this brings me to my third point, which is pray for the church to represent God well. We're going to read verses 10 through 12 here, Colossians 1, 10 through 12. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints with light. See, Paul now gets into some specifics. How is it that we know the will of God, that we show off right, his glory? He talks about the first thing here, he says, is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, living in a manner worthy of the Lord doesn't mean that we earn God, right? That we're worth God. What it means is rather that we live in a way that shows off God's worth. In, in other words, God is infinitely worthy. God is amazing. God is awesome. God is great. And living in a way that shows that off. See, when we live in sin, when we live, you know, just in uh, not grateful for what he has done, then that's going to show a different thing. That's not going to give God glory. That's not going to show his worth. Um, so God, this, here's, how he, here's how we can do this. Actually, let me back up. Um, he says, pray that the church, uh, he also prays that the church would bring God pleasure. So he says, live in a way that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Is God pleased by our worship? See, there, there is a way that, there's often times when we come to church, right, and we think about, like, ah, oh, I, don't, I don't like this thing, or I don't, I don't like this. But what about what God likes? Is God has God been pleased with our worship of him? And here are the ways that we can show off God's glory and also, show, and also please him, right? It is, it is showing off his worth by not living autonomously, being in a community. See, Paul is praying for the church of Colossians. And one of the things that he mentioned last week was their love for one another in the spirit. This prayer, 
This prayer isn't speaking to just one single person here. It's not speaking to Mel, it's not speaking to any one person of, of you. It's speaking to the church as a collective, right? Uh, to the Col for the Colossians and by extension for us as well. We're reading this today. Paul gets more specific though about how we can, what kind of life shows a knowledge of God's will. Um, and it's a spirit-empowered wisdom and understanding and a life worthy of God that pleases him. Right? And he prays that several things. He says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, bearing fruit means two things. The first one is winning others to Christ. And where I see this is in Romans 1.13, where Paul says, I often plan to come to you that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. What Paul is talking about is fruit as in people who are receiving Jesus, a fruit, so the fruit of his ministry, something that's coming out of his ministry, which is people in this case, um, people that are being transformed by Christ, knowing Christ, getting the message of Christ. But then fruit also refers to transformed behavior. And this is what we see in uh, another one of Paul's letters, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, where we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, and self-control. These are all things that come from the Spirit being in us, right? These are things that are, that are the fruit of the Spirit's presence in our lives. He also talks about, uh, he, pray, he prays for intimacy. Check this out. So he says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, and I call that intimacy, right? Because anybody who's in a relationship, whether it's friend, romantic, whatever, you know that that relationship increases as you get to know someone. And you know that there's also the temptation to stop getting to know someone because you think, ah, I already know this person, and you just assume. Um, but intimacy comes from knowledge. See, that's why in Genesis 4.1, it says Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to a child. Adam wasn't just, you know, studying her on Facebook, right? There was some intimacy involved there. There was an, a, a knowledge that was not just intellectual, but relational and uh, it moved him to action. Paul again prays, he prays for people to possess God's power, to possess, to be empowered by God, rather. And so here's what it says. May you be strengthened, verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. See, we need God to empower us so that we can have strength. Our own strength is limited, right? Do not do things in, in your own strength, right? But lean on him. That's, what, that's Proverbs. Um, our own strength is limited, so we need the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and embolden us, right? Where he's using us human beings to do what is a supernatural work. We're not strong enough for that, so we need God's strength for it. Then we talk about for endurance. Guys, we're living in 2020. I don't need to tell us that life is hard. Right? We all know that life is hard. And for us to endure and to continue 
but not just to like, you know, drag, like, but to continue and to move forward, that is gonna take endurance, an endurance that only the spirit can empower. He talks about patience, waiting, okay? And he talks about joy. Again, living in the times that we're living in, there's a lot to be critical of, but um, having joy, having joy in this time is, is just a sign of God's being in us. And so I pray that our church would have strength. I pray that our church would have endurance. I pray that our church would have joy, um, that we would bear fruit, that we would have uh, intimacy with God. But then there's another thing that he prays, and it really moves me into the last point today. And it is pray out of gratitude for what God has done. So he says, and we pick up in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father, to the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, pray for people to live with gratitude. Um, social worker and research professor, uh, Dr. Brene Brown, talks about how, in her very popular TED Talk as well, talks about how we have way more language for what something is not than for what something is, right? So in other words, we can define what courage isn't more easily than we can define what courage is. And I think there's a lot to be grateful for. I get it. Like I said, we're living in 2020. A lot of stuff has gone wrong. But there is still a lot to be grateful for. In an article uh, Pastor John Piper wrote, he, wrote, he writes, how can God be so holy and yet be so good? Um, and it basically flips the question that we commonly ask in the United States, which is, uh, how can God be so good when bad things happen? And he talks about this other side, which in Eastern world, they actually struggle with, which is how can God be so holy and yet like let so many things go? Like, how can he be so good? How many, and he talks about how so many airplanes land, how so many different ba babies are born, how so many things go well that we constantly don't recognize and we don't praise God for. Um, and so it's important to live out of gratitude, but more specifically here in this, in this text, we're, living, we're giving thanks to the Father, particularly because he has done something that is amazing. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. If you think about the Olympics, it's just, it's an amazing feat to just even qualify for them. Um, and what, what you can imagine here is that God is qualifying you for the Olympics. You haven't trained, you haven't done all of these things, right? Someone else is coming on your behalf and qualifying you. And God has particularly, he's qualified us to share in this inheritance of the saints. In Ephesians 1, verses 13 to 14, we see this word inheritance used again in a very similar way. And I, I draw a lot of comparison with Ephesians because it's very similar. Um, but he says, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In other words, um, what we're getting here, what the, the inheritance that we're getting is the glory of God, right? But we've already have a down payment that we received. 
the glory that exists within us, which is the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. See, we, you and I, we have no business being here. We have no business being before a holy God. And yet, God has qualified us to be in his presence. It continues to say, <clears throat> the passage continues to say that he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, and he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And many, many of us have experienced darkness before, right? And I don't know if you've ever been like in the country where it's dark, dark, but you can't even see your hand right in front of you, right? If you're out in the woods at night, that's how dark it gets. See, what darkness does is it hides the, uh, the reality that we live in. It hides the sin, it hides the, uh, the fact that there is a, a eternity that we will give it, that we, and it's someone that we will give an account to. It hides all of that stuff. And with contrast that in this text isn't light, right? The opposite here is the kingdom of his beloved son. Check it out. He says he's transferred us from darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. But there is a, a before this, he's talk about that we're sharing with the saints in light. There is an assumption here that we're also going from darkness to light. But I love that it's described as the kingdom of the beloved son because see, the, this isn't just an enlightenment. It isn't just that the light has been turned on and now you see all the roaches in your kitchen, right? And that's too real for some of us. But it isn't just that. It's, it's that now that th things that we have this knowledge, now that we know what's going on, right? Now we are also a part of this kingdom. We're moved not just from darkness to light. We're moved from darkness to the kingdom of God, of the, the beloved son. We're moved into Jesus Christ's rule and reign on our behalf. His beloved son, the, the loved son, the, 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 the good son, that is the kingdom that we get to be part of. So we're not only just seeing what is good, but we're getting to be part of it. And you see, Jesus is not a king like the kings of this world. Jesus is a king that rules with power and grace. He is both the lion and the lamb. And then it talks about two specific things here, which it says, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. Redemption is, is Jesus rescuing what was lost. Think about Taken, one, two, or three, they're all the same, where the, the main character, Liam Neeson plays, uh, he, he's like, I will find you, and when I do, I will kill you. Right? He's essentially saying, I'm going to find this thing, and I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to find it, and I'm going to redeem it. Um, and this is what Jesus does for us. He rescues what, what is lost. But then also he forgives our sin, meaning he absorbs what was broken. You see, what Jesus does on the cross, um, while it is free to us, it costs him a lot. It costs him his life. It costs him the wrath of God. Uh, let me put it this way. If I lend you $100, right, and you don't pay me back that $100, and I forgive it, then that's great. You have $100 that like, you owed someone that you no longer owe them. But for me, that $100 doesn't magically reappear in my pocket. 
That $100 doesn't magically reappear in my bank account. It costs me and I have to swallow that L, that loss. And what Jesus does when he forgives us is he does exactly that. And so in closing, here's what I want us to take away. When we pray, we should pray with a sincerity uh, and an intensity, right? And we want to grow in that little by little. Um, And so just think about what is our next step. Think about how maybe you can organize your prayer life so that there can be a time that's carved out for that, that's protected for that. Maybe consider even coming to prayer and fasting and be part, being part of that, excuse me. Pray also for the church to know God deeply, all right? Um, not just for things, not just for external situations, but for our hearts, that we may know God deeply and that we may act on that knowledge. Finally, uh, the last two, pray the church represent God well and also pray that the church live in gratitude for what Jesus has done. And with that, let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for your word. God, I pray, Lord, that we would live lives where we know you, know your will, have spiritual understanding and wisdom, where we would live worthy of you, God, showing off your worth, and even pleasing you, God, making you, bringing you delight through what we do in our actions. I pray, God, that we would bear fruit, that we would grow in intimacy with you. I pray, Lord, that we would be thankful. Um, And I thank you, God, because you have taken us from darkness to the kingdom of your son. And it's in his blessed name we pray, amen.